Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Jocelyn, and joining me as always is my co-host, Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Jocelyn. How's it going? It's going pretty good. It was a good weekend. We had uh, some really cool showcases. Like, we're going to get into it later in the news section, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching the Xbox showcase live. And I don't normally watch them live. I can't remember if we talked about this uh, last week or not, um, about like how we actually consume this content. I normally just look for the highlight posts and the, you know, the articles summing everything up. Um, But the Xbox one, it was on the weekend. So I actually had the time to sit down and watch. Um, And it was like, I I feel like the last ones I tried to sit down and watch were like Summer Games Fest, but like last year, maybe the year before. And it was bad. (laughs) (laughs) And then I watched the Xbox one and I was like, oh, this is actually like well-paced. Like even the stuff that I don't care so much about, it didn't feel like it dragged on too long. Everybody talking about stuff seemed excited about that stuff. And uh, yeah, like I don't, I thought it was a really enjoyable kind of like ticked all the boxes showcase. I mean, they had all kinds of stuff. They had racing stuff. They had shooter stuff. They had indie stuff. Like they had games that I played and games I'm excited about. They talked about RTSs. Like they're just, they just they kind of ticked everything. And I was like, wow, good job, Xbox. This was enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, they were missing one thing. I don't know if you caught that. Um, no banjo kazooie. I think that was really disappointing. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> you know what? I, I know there are a lot of folks, including Walmart Gaming Canada, that wanted to see Banjo-Kazooie. I think they did like a summoning tweet, um, which was pretty funny to see. I, I mean, here's the thing. like Microsoft has Banjo-Kazooie. Has Nintendo done more with Banjo-Kazooie since selling Banjo-Kazooie? Probably. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, maybe maybe we'll see a revival of, of Banjo-Kazooie at some point, but um, it was not this year. And and no fable either. I mean, like we're gonna yeah. talk about all the awesome stuff later on. So like we just get, you know, the, the two <laughs> get the wait. Where's my fable out of the way now? <laughs> yeah, I I feel like uh, I feel like we'll get fable next year, uh, but probably not Panjo Kazooie. I'm not. I I can't get my hopes up again. <laughs> well, before we get too far into the Xbox uh, showcase, because that's not even the only showcase we have to talk about this week. Uh, did you want to touch on your thoughts on Halo now that you've finished season one? Yeah, so I have finished season one of Halo, which is on uh, Paramount Plus. And uh, Jocelyn and I were kind of talking pre-show about like, we already talked about Halo. Like, I think to sum up those points, it was basically like, this is it's, they were not joking. This is their own timeline. It's pulling the characters and the universe and the feel of Halo into this sort of parallel um, story, or parallel universe, I should say. But it's it's a story that is, clearly leading towards the halo uh and and my prediction uh, so does it feel does it feel kind of like sorry to, to cut you off fine. before you get all prediction-y but <laughs> um does it feel a little bit like the marvel universe like comics versus mcu like you've got the halo game universe and then you've got the halo tv show where it's just the same only different uh I, you know i would almost put it and I'm not saying like, I mean, to each his own, I'm not saying it's as bad as the DC universe. <laughs> um, I wasn't talking quality. I just meant like when you're no. talking about parallel universes, like they're not actually like tied together. It's like they're taking the characters and, and moving them in a different direction in some cases. Yeah. The reason I was leaning more DC is I feel like Marvel, at least my understanding of the comics is that like, it's very easy to kind of like 
see the path ahead if you know the comic storyline that they're adapting or at least taking um you know inspiration from uh whereas i find with dc they're a little bit all over the place right and and they make some great films they make some some not so great films and sometimes it's not a direct adaptation uh but i think i would say it's kind of like it's it's close to those approaches but it is very it can be different in moments it, it really feels like it's leading towards oh they're setting up the fall of reach they're setting up why the covenant um hate humanity so much why they're searching for the halo the great journey that sort of thing um but it the journey to halo one uh the storyline that takes place on the first halo it it just it, it feels like a very different um path they're taking with specific characters and uh but that being said like i've i have enjoyed um the halo show and i mean as we talked about before like i feel like if you were to just take the video game of like move from point a to point b blow up the halo before the covenant have a chance to use it that doesn't make like a very compelling story it might make a really cool looking show but the story it would it feels like it's not really there so Mm -hmm. they flesh a lot of that out with uh you know the characters that we know and love with the master chief and cortana and and dr halsley but also adding in um more 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 characterization for like the universe like you get more of the UNSC, which is the the human alliance. You get more of the rebels and um, the outer colonies. And, and you do get more of the Covenant right off the bat. Like, I think in Halo 1, the Covenant are this mysterious alien force that don't really have a characterization. They're just kind of there to try to kill you. Um, but in the show, they tell both sides right off, right from the beginning. Um, mm. And I thought that was a really neat way of doing it to, you know, not just make the covenant, this big, bad, scary, um, entity, but actually bring it in and, and, uh, and show a bit of their side too. Like they're still really bad. They're trying to kill all of humanity and stuff, but, um, they're not just yeah, off that's screen. Not great. No, it's not great, <laughs> but they're not off screen, like cackling and, and, uh, and, and sitting there just, you know, um, looking maniacal uh they actually have some scenes with some dialogue and stuff and and the way they kind of do that is they have a human character that is with the covenant and i know a lot of people had an issue with that um but like it kind of makes sense in how like with the covenant like taken prisoner or with the covenant like helping them with the covenant helping them um, oh yeah that's i can see why people would be like wtf like yeah. trying to destroy humanity come on dude you're <laughs> you're a humanity <laughs> yes you are a humanity uh, i think that was the line that master chief used on on the person <laughs> you are a humanity <laughs> you're a humanity what's up dude <laughs> uh yeah i mean and you know there are there are things that happen between you know uh master chief and and that person who is humanity but i think like it makes sense. The, the story they tell, it makes sense that 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 that, uh, that person is is with the Covenant and why they're working with the Covenant. Um, she was kidnapped at a, at a young age. She was sort of she grew up on the outer colonies, and she was uh, it was more of like a like a worker planet or something. I don't know, but uh, either way, <laughs> clearly the story really resonated with you. <laughs> well, the, the, some of the stuff didn't, and I'm terrible at recounting story. But I think like what. What happened there is they wanted to place a human with the Covenant to kind of make it a little easier to, to, I guess, I don't know, to have like that connection, I guess. I don't know. But it it worked in the sense that they they did explain it a little bit better than than I'm doing right now. 
basically in the games, like the Master Chief as as a human is is special. And then this other character that's working with the Covenant is also special. So that's the reason that they, you know, usually they don't take prisoners, but they they took her as a prisoner and then they raised her to to kind of be part of part of this Covenant grouping. So it makes sense in the story. Um, it makes sense that you know these two characters are very special when it comes to like the Forerunner tech and and Halo and stuff. But you know, all that being said, and uh, to get a little bit further into spoilers, I, I did finish it. My prediction was that this show would end with them getting to halo fall of reach, you know, they, they warp on the pillar of dawn, they get to halo. There it is. And all it's CG glory of this giant ring. <laughs> and, uh, they don't do that. They don't even, um, they don't even find it. They get like half the map. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is why I got two seasons. Cause you find the first half of the map in the first season. And then the second season is going to end with the fall of reach and, and the halo and, and stuff. And hopefully, hopefully I've been wrong before. <laughs> what, if, what if the second season just ends with, oh, we got the second half of the map. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, yeah, I mean, I like I really thought like at the at the later part of the season, there were these moments where um, I, I can't remember the, the character's name, but the the woman who's with the Covenant, you know, gets captured. But she she goes over to the UNSC. She's on reach. And she appears to like touch this artifact that may signal the covenant. I thought, oh, this is how the covenant find reach. You see the fall of reach, and that's sort of like the catalyst to kick off Halo One. Uh, but that wasn't the case. It was just um, it, it caused. It, there were other things that happened, and it was really convoluted of like clones and and people dying, and it was <laughs> it was weird. But I mean, they do a really great job at like bringing these Spartans to life, and there are three or four Spartans, which again is. In the video game, there's only the one. There's only the Master Chief, but but in this show, they they have a couple more that are still kicking, and um, they do some fun stuff with the Spartans. But where the show kind of ends is uh, they it's it's hard to explain, but basically what happens is like Cortana is this AI. Cortana was designed to kind of take over the Master Chief's body, basically replacing the human that is John and just becoming this super soldier. That, that would take orders no problem uh, because it's an AI. And uh, obviously in the video games, like from what we understand, like that's not the case. Like the AI is sort of this extra tool that you know, the Master Chief has. Yeah, she to... like, she helps him. She, exactly. She isn't, she isn't him. <laughs> exactly. And again, like the show really appeared to be setting up, like the Master Chief is more human in this show. And that kind of flies in the face of the game characterization but like again that works for a game a silent protagonist mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily work for a tv show well yeah because the whole silent protagonist kind of lets you put your own like personality stamp onto the character right like he's master chief but like he's jocelyn's master chief and then for you he's ryan's master chief and you can kind of like view the character through your own lens i mean mm -hmm. as soon as which again works very well for a video game where you're also controlling said character but when you're looking at tvs and movies and stuff like that like <laughs> you can't just have a dude like standing there with no personality it's not quite the same <laughs> yeah i mean and and this is the thing like i know a lot of folks have had issues with the show and the characterizations but i really enjoyed it. i thought it was a, I thought it was a great way of like breathing life into um, 
characters that had it every couple hours in a video game for a specific moment in a cutscene. Like, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, the Master Chief has some great one-liners when he's talking to other characters, but most of the time is like, "Where's my gun? Uh, I need some <laughs> grenades." Um, you know, I'm going to need a bigger ship. I can't remember, you know, all of them, but those are like the top three. Um, but in the show, again, he's got, he's much more human. I mean, there's literally a scene where he rips out this like capsule or something that they say is like, oh, it's a special capsule that doesn't make you feel anything. And just, it allows you to focus on the mission. And all of a sudden he's like walking around town and he's like, oh my gosh, everything's so beautiful. And I'm like, I thought this is great. He's a human. He's now he's going to be able to think for himself. And then at the end of the season, and this is this is a little bit more spoilery, and then we'll we'll jump out. So again, if if everyone's listening and they haven't seen the ending and you want to skip past this, there'll be time codes in the bottom. But at the end, uh, the Master Chief and Cortana they're working together. They're they're they they've had their uh, they weren't very happy to work together throughout the season. But in the final episode, they're like, okay, we're cool now. Let's do this. And there's a moment where they're like trapped in this ruin. They're about to be overrun. And like, I guess Master Chief's like, well, the only way we're getting out of this, Cortana says, there's no way you can do both, like save everybody and get the artifact. And Master Chief's like, no, you can do it. So he like puts himself in the line of fire. He dies. He keels over because he basically says to Cortana, no, you got to take over and do it because you're a super AI. So he dies. He falls over. Cortana appears to revive. I don't even know if it's Master Chief anymore, but they revive the master chief he gets back up the body and he continues he he proceeds to do a bunch of cool video game cinematic stuff of basically doing both the things at once saving everybody and getting the artif- artifact <laughs> off the planet and um essentially you so know he's a meat puppet now exactly and it's <laughs> it's a it's it's very disturbing it's uh, like again there's this moment where Cortana's like, well, I might not be able to bring you back. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Just do it. And well, he, he kills himself and, and he, ta- she takes over it, it. This is how I perceive it. And then, and, and then he does all this cool shit. He saves everybody. And then they're back in the ship and they're like, well, that was, that was, uh, that was really, that was really rough. I can't believe we made it out of there. And, and one of the Spartans goes up to, to master chief and says like, Oh, what do you think, John? And, and then John just does the whole like robot look at her look back at the ship it's just it's like it, it essentially saying like you know it's it's no longer john the master isn't Ch- here anymore yeah. john's <laughs> not here man and uh <laughs> essentially it's like okay so like cortana's taken over like maybe the, i'm sure like the second season starts with like how do we bring john back and they bring john back and then there's like more of a partnership uh, being portrayed between Cortana and John, and yada yada yada, closer to what we're used to from the games. Although, like that, yeah, that's a that's a really weird choice, though. I mean, without unless there's some sort of like super secret, which always ticks me off, where you know shows are like, oh, by the way, we have this super secret thing that fixes all the problems magically. Uh, don't worry about it. And so, like, unless they have some, like, super secret AI backup of his brain, like, that just goes into some really weird, potentially, like, spiritual places about being able to, like, find John's soul or memories or, like, I don't even know. 
that's a weird storyline, man. <laughs> yeah. The, like I said, the ending kind of left me like, okay, I'm interested to yeah. see where they take this. But I didn't even talk. Like, we do see the halo as well. And you, and the reason I, I remembered is because you, you mentioned, like, the spiritual aspect of it. So there are these humans that are considered blessed or whatever. I vaguely remember, like, a tiny little bit of halo lore. Like, yeah. a teeny tiny little bit. <laughs> yeah. The idea is basically that the Forerunners, which is this ancient race, right up until Halo 3, we figured they were an alien race. But really, they're humanity. They're ancient humanity. They were wiped out by the use of the halos and the flood to combat the flood. Um, but essentially in the show, like Master Chief and this other character are, are blessed ones. And when they touch these artifacts, these forerunner artifacts, they they can see things, they, they unlock memories, they can um, transport their consciousness to the, the halo ring. Like they go to the halo ring in this sort of like mind, you know, uh, movement i don't know like they kind of teleport their them themselves there like their consciousness to the halo and you see the halo and it's like oh that's that's the halo and that's the only time you see the halo but like maybe that is what they use to be like oh mm, like maybe he's stored in a forerunner artifact somewhere and they just have to find the right one so they just kind of yeah. tap them all john john are you in there <laughs> Well, the right? it, oh no steve sorry oh didn't mean yeah. to wake you up we're looking for john <laughs> yeah, you go back uh you go back to forerunner heaven or whatever is going on um it's 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 again like i think the whole season was really good it, it's it's uh it's exploring like you know the 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 darker side of the creation of the spartans and they deal with that and there's like some truths that are sort of unveiled there to to the spartans and to other characters and i think they do a they do a good job at sort of portraying that. But I, I think there's just something about that ending that's like, it's almost like they rewrote it so that maybe fans would be like, oh, but maybe they are giving us their robot chief. And I'm like, no, no, like, they're, he's not a complete robot. He, he is a human in there still. Like, that's the whole, that's the whole point of Halo is that he is still human. And yeah. it's him, it, like, over the course of those six games, it's it's him combating himself in terms of, his humanity and that he is this like soldier, but he's also human. And like when it comes back to it, and I think like that was, that was explored in infinite a lot in, in terms of his humanity, but the show seems to at this stage wipe his humanity away. And he is just an AI. But like I said, they'll, 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 they'll do some science fiction hand wavy stuff to, to bring it back and kind of probably, <laughs> bring us closer to what is in the games slash what is in the books. So, uh, but yeah, I, I don't, but it ended in a weird spot. It did. It did. It was very cliffhangery of like, this isn't the cliffhanger that I think we, I was expecting, but, um, I know that I, I just, I have this feeling like, you know, they're going to resolve it in the first few episodes the first few episodes, like you said, I'll be searching for John's mind, wherever it ended up going, whether it's like stuck in like, Cortana limbo. I don't know. So we'll see. <laughs> well, I hope they find him and he's not just a robot for the rest of the series. We shall see. That would make a bad show if they just turned him into Cortana robot and like, this is what you yeah. wanted, right? Like just video game cutscenes. I'm like, no, no, not really. So yeah, no gamers. Gamers want to see Cortana in all of her tight suit glory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is. Uh, she they, they do a good job of uh, bringing her over from the video games, and they have the same voice actress as well. Um, so that's really that's good. good. Yeah, it, it, it's it's honestly kind of jarring because most of the time um, you don't see that being pulled over from the video games. 
Um, so it was really cool. Like they, they saw an opportunity. It's like, well, this, this, she works so well in the video games. I mean, she even voiced like the failed, you know, uh, voice assistant for windows. I mean, yeah. We have to bring her for the show. Right. <laughs> It'd be kind of weird to like have her voice, uh, <laughs> change uh, suddenly. Yeah, exactly. But I don't know, like if, if you have a chance to, to binge the nine episodes or whatever in your week trial of Paramount plus, I, I think it's worth it if you're a halo fan. I've already burned my week trial, actually, because of uh, the South Park content that they had on launch. So, <laughs> oh, well, then, yeah, maybe wait, maybe wait till the next trial. <laughs> yeah, rip Halo. Uh, so uh, before we jump into all of the Xbox, Bethesda and Capcom news, I wanted to say a very quick thank you to Josh Cook, who is our June patron. Josh went over to patreon.com slash the gamers in and is supporting the show. So thank you so much, Josh, for your support of gamers in. And if you would like to be just like Josh again, you can head on over to patreon.com slash the gamers in if you would like your name right here for a month. Uh, we actually we and you know what? I'm going to take a second here, too, because we seem to keep accumulating you guys. So thank you so much for the support. Uh, but we're all we're all full up now until November for our patrons of the month. So very quick thank you to Will P, Paul M, Matthew W, Tyson, and Jamie for supporting the show as well. You guys will get your months later on, but I uh, did want to give you a quick thank you now because, uh, yeah, you guys have been so awesome with your support that we're we're kind of all booked up. So, again, patreon.com slash the gamers in. That brings us to the news this week, which is showcase, showcase, showcase. Uh, we had a whole ton of showcases over the weekend, which is kind of crazy because Ryan and I just recorded last week's <laughs> show on Friday and there is so much news already again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's not E3 week uh, or like uh, E3 is not dead, but but it's still here. The ghost of E3 is what I've been calling it. I was trying to get there. <laughs> that's super fair because uh yeah it's it's just man these companies are stacking up the news and uh so i did watch the like i said off the top of the show i did watch the xbox bethesda showcase i mean i'm a huge bethesda fan so uh, i did want to see what they had on offer and uh one big thing that they kind of hammered home all throughout the presentation is that everything that they showed is coming out in the next and they didn't say year they said next 12 months so that was uh, kind of quite specific. It means, you know, we can expect everything between now and June of next year, as opposed to just saying like 2022 and 2023 that I feel like we've seen a lot of in the past. Because uh, then we end up seeing stuff that's like holiday 2023, but then actually ends up coming out in 2024 kind of deal. Um, so yeah, they were very specific about next 12 months, which... Um, Overwatch actually got uh, a month uh, a release date, or did they actually get the date? I think they did. It was October October fourth. October fourth. Okay, I had the fourteenth in my head for some reason, but anyways, I got the four part right. So yeah, October fourth for Overwatch two and uh, Diablo four. There was a new trailer for the Necromancer included in the Xbox showcase, and um, it was kind of seamless. They didn't do like Diablo and Overwatch right next to each other. They were kind of spread out. And um, yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like the merger has have or the acquisition <laughs> like has occurred. And I know that they're still doing stuff behind closed doors and it's not final. And, you know, Microsoft isn't in charge yet or anything like that. But this showcase was very seamless. Yeah. Very much like Xbox is the umbrella that now includes Blizzard. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's just it's the way they introduced uh, Diablo specifically and had uh, I think it's 
is it, it's either Ron or Rod Ferguson uh, come on and, and sort of talk about Diablo. And I think uh, I got the vibe that, and, and I was saying pre-show, like, I wonder if we're going to get some Activision Blizzard sort of game pass, like, hey, um, similar to Bethesda, we're, we've, we're, we're looking to acquire them, but you don't have to wait until that's done. Some of their games are on Game Pass. And they kind of did... They kind of did uh, the bigger step, which is basically talk about the two big games that are waiting in the wings from Activision Blizzard. And uh, just the way they approached it was like, um, the, the, well, the way they approached it is like, I think next year when when the purchase has gone through and we do the, the not E3, Ghost of E3 presentation, it'll be the Xbox, Bethesda, Activision and Blizzard showcase you know and Mm -hmm. and it'll be very similar to what we saw is just rolling from one to the other which also honestly could be a lot to do with like because blizzard has basically said they're done with blizzcon um that you know whatever blizzcon looks like going forward in the future is going to be different than what we've seen in the past and you know all that other stuff and i mean it could kind of come down to we're gonna start doing this june showcase under microsoft like you know, we're not doing the November thing anymore. We're, you know, we're done. So um, I think it was kind of interesting. I mean, uh, Diablo fans seem to be pretty hyped. The mm-hmm. uh, the D4 trailer for the Necromancer was really interesting. Um, but man, it looks gory. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, not that Diablo 3 wasn't, but like, it's like they took existing Diablo and went, but what if we went blood times 10? <laughs> well, it, it really felt like, you know, this is a prime example of like leaning into the feedback and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the feedback for Diablo three, which whether you agree with it or not, I, I found Diablo three to be the right amount of, uh, of, of Diablo, the right amount of gore, the right amount of, you know, it's a mature game. It's still a mature game. It you, is. Yeah. You know? Um, but Diablo four is like, well, what if we just made it, you know, 10 times worse, you know, and, mm-hmm. and in, in the degree of, of gore and, and matureness to it. Um, you wouldn't have your kids play either of them, but still like there's something about Diablo four that just feels like it's a, it's a step further in, in, it's more in visceral. A, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about the Callisto protocol last week. Oh, I thought you were going to say we talked about the boys pre-show. No, well, we <laughs> like, did do that too. That's kind of what it feels like. It's like the boys, but Diablo. <laughs> yes. It's like, well, now we have this tech to make everything look super to goopy make everything explode in piles of blood <laughs> exactly and they've nailed it and they've got like yeah. the one effects team that's like we can do this and it's like all right let's write every other scene to have an exploding body perfect you know uh amazon it i think like <laughs> <laughs> i think with diablo 4 it's it, i'm again like i was excited to see it i'm excited for for fans that are that are seeing it and, and are really excited to to play it and the fact that we have sort of a release window of the next 12 months uh, for Diablo 4. I mean, personally, like, I was excited for them to confirm, you know, console ports, like, at launch. Um, mm-hmm. I will I will probably look to check this out on, on Xbox when it launches. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we, we should kind of point out, like, this was the Xbox showcase. So, like, this stuff, because it, it's, at one point they talked about um, High Isle for Elder Scrolls Online, and I was like, that's already out. But it's because the release of the console version is still, I think, another week away or something like that. So, um, yeah, like this, this is very specifically the Xbox showcase, like the console showcase. So, yeah, I think they it did basically confirm like yeah, Diablo 4 coming to Xbox, coming to the console sometime in the next 12 months. So I expect 
we'll have consoles, um, or at least Xbox again. Like, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it's it's kind of hard to say what they're actually going to do with the property. But I would say Xbox console for sure, you know, day and date with PC. Yeah, well, there was actually a, uh, for both these announcements, both Overwatch and Diablo 4, um, Activision Blizzard was putting out press releases before, like oh, shortly they? before I they were announced. paying attention to them. Yeah, I mean, I think I have a couple people I follow that basically just retweet all the big news, and um, mm. and and then you know, Overwatch Four and and Diablo or Overwatch Two and Diablo Four. <laughs> Wait, Overwatch Four announced? What happened to Overwatch Three? <laughs> I mean, you know what? Sometimes you're just good enough that you can just skip a whole entry, I guess, uh, like Goat Simulator. Uh, I, you know what? I was one of those folks that had to Google, was there a Goat Simulator Two? Because I was like, man, they skipped right from one to three. Is it a joke or is there a two that I missed? Turns out it was it was a joke. Um. But in this case, uh, I think that, um, yeah, uh, it, it, sorry, yeah, the, the press release went out, and, and yes, it's it's coming to both con- like all consoles, like uh, PlayStation Five and and Xbox for both Overwatch. Actually, Overwatch Two is coming to Switch, which I would I, I was like, oh, because oh, I thought fun. Overwatch coming to Switch was like it was a, it was a late you know sort of addition, and it kind of felt like well, the Switch is doing good, so let's try to port it over there. But it, it's nice to see them at least looking to support. Uh, mm-hmm. the switch, I mean, Overwatch 2 is essentially Overwatch. My understanding, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I, I, from my understanding, like Overwatch 2 is basically just an expanded Overwatch one. Like, there's more to it. Yeah, I, it has definitely been called in Blizzard circles an expansion to mm-hmm. Overwatch 1, as in could have been like. Well, a game expansion, not a not a full on sequel, because there's a whole lot of stuff that's ported over from from original Overwatch to Overwatch 2. Um, again, as far as I understand, I think they they did some work on the background engine and they're they're bringing some stuff to the game that was uh, kind of hinted at or promised to be in original Overwatch that never kind of made it. And they they decided to kind of spin up Overwatch 2 anyways. But uh, I don't know the. The whole, um, it, I mean, we talk so often about development hell and that kind of feels like what Overwatch 2 has been in. Uh, it kind of felt like they didn't have a lot of direction. They didn't know what they were doing. They've changed that direction a whole lot of times. And now Jeff Kaplan's gone. So it kind of feels like that's changed again. I'm a little bit worried about Overwatch 2. I'll be honest. Like, I'm not a huge fan of Overwatch anyways. I played it for the first, like, six months and fell off. So, you know, like, you're not talking to the overwatch fangirl on the show or anything like there's there's definitely a lot of people that know a lot more than i do but um yeah i think that uh, there's a lot of worry around this title and uh yeah i don't know i'm i am a little bit worried that this is another one that's kind of like getting rushed out the door to try to make them some money as opposed to something that's like fully thought out and ready i could be wrong but I mean, from I've seen from people who know a lot more than me kind of raising an eyebrow about just Overwatch 2 in general. But we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we're all wrong. <laughs> Maybe. It, it is interesting. I mean, uh, the thought just popped into my head that both these games, you, you mentioned like they're they're maybe possibly rushing them out. I mean, Overwatch 2 is is launching free to play, no PVE. The PVE will come later, which I think was the big addition to me that I was excited about. That was supposed to be the big addition that was yeah. like, that was, again, promised in Overwatch 1, never materialized. And they were like, hey, it's okay. We're going to make Overwatch 2. That's where the PVE comes in. That's the thing that makes it different from Overwatch 1. That's why we're doing a sequel. And now they're like, 
actually mm. <laughs> no pve sorry <laughs> yeah I, I wonder if they are i mean could there be a possibility that they're looking to get you know both these games or at least the start of these games out before the acquisition closes like maybe that's a part of it uh, i don't know i'm not oh, a business person oh i think that's person. definitely a part of it yeah so i mean it, it, again like going back to, i think i think it was just it was really surprising to see this level of activision blizzard within the xbox showcase um so soon because even when i think bethesda was acquired bethesda had their own show before they were Mm -hmm. fully acquired so like it was it was just it was interesting to see and um you know obviously they're still working through that deal and and uh one one week you'll hear it's going to go through the next week you'll, you'll hear that it's it's not so um I don't think we'll know until until next summer. Honestly, I think that's the mm. date they're sort of targeting. But there was a whole bunch of other stuff, not just. Blizzard. Oh, my God, there was so much. Yeah, I don't want to spend any more time on yeah. Blizzard. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the Internet seemed to lose its collective mind over Silksong, which is sure. the Hollow Knight sequel. I think everyone's really, really excited about that. So Hollow Knight came out in 2017 and then Silk Song was announced in 2019, so it's been quite a while, uh, both since the release of Hollow Knight and since the announcement of the sequel. So I think everyone was pretty excited. We still don't have an actual release date, but again, they hammered home a billion times throughout the presentation. 12 months, 12 months, 12 months, 12 months. So mm-hmm. sometime between now and next June, uh, Silk Song is actually going to get released. And they showed a lot of gameplay, and it felt quite finished to me, like looking at like the fights and, and all the different um kind of scenery moments and settings like they they showed a lot of things it wasn't like you know they've got level one area one completed and we saw everything that had that same sort of color and theme and and whatever in the same you know different parts of the same boss fight like it felt like they were showing quite a lot yeah i mean every time people say are we gonna see more silk song i wonder like i should probably try to play Hol- i've never played hollow knight before I have a friend who has played Hollow Knight like a billion times. It's like his favorite game. Oh, well, I <laughs> and, should talk yeah, to him. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then he can just be yeah, like, this is the I'm game. Out, I'll let him know. I'll be like, just so you know, you're going to be on Gamers in next week. It's going to be Hollow Knight week. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll play Hollow Knight and then he can tell me all about the the wonderful. It's a Metroidvania, is it not? I, I feel like um, I, I know it's on Game Pass. I always so. like I, I have I uh, maybe it's just my lack of understanding of game genres, but like. I, or maybe because I never played Metroid, but I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Oh, <laughs> but um, um, it reminds me of Ori. OK, so, yeah, that's okay. a it's a so I, I think it's I think Ori is a Metroidvania. It's a, essentially to me, See, like, like a Metroid, I mean, like a shrug. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either like for I've never played the Castlevania games. So like I only know what I say Metroidvania like I know what I'm talking about. But really, I only have <laughs> the understanding of the first half. And and to me, a Metroidvania is you it's a side scroller uh but it doesn't have to be i guess that's that's not helpful anyways okay ori in the blind forest is a platform adventure metroidvania video game <laughs> there okay. you go thanks wikipedia <laughs> well that's that doesn't well essentially my idea of a metroidvania is like you you have to find items to be able to progress through certain uh you know checkpoints or gates so for example in metroid it's like oh i can't get through the red doors because i don't have the missile yet and that's like the simplest boiling down. So like I think and then you slowly over the game as you unlock more and more, you know, items and weapons to progress through these these gates and checkpoints, you become more and more powerful. And then by the end of the game, you are basically just 
mowing everybody down. But I think the core concept is like you have like a map and a bunch of gates and checkpoints and you're finding items. <laughs> Again, thank you, Wikipedia says uh, non-linear utility gated exploration and progression. So basically yeah. exactly what you're describing. There's a map and then depending on which uh, pieces you go and unlock, that will give you abilities that will give you access to other places. And yeah, you can kind of again non-linear so go your own way but yeah there you go everybody metroidvania that's that's what that means <laughs> you're welcome after 500 plus episodes of this show <laughs> yeah well i'm glad we I got feel like there. that's a thing i should have known before now <laughs> uh you know i mean it's one of those things where i think a lot right of people up there with roguelike and road roguelite <laughs> i'm just like i, I don't know People throw around terms and it's like, I think Metroidvania is one of them that, that will constantly be thrown around. And I mean, it, it's kind of, it's kind of unfair. Cause like at least like both, both Nintendo and Konami have this rough time developing uh, Metroid and, and Castlevania games. Nintendo's gotten better about Metroid games. Although I, I did see today that it was the fifth anniversary of the Metroid prime four logo, which was nice to see. I don't know how you're celebrating, but um <laughs> I retweeted the joke. We all celebrated in our own ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, um, I'm I'm excited for for Silk Song. I'll, I'll likely check it out, and and I do need to give Hollow Knight a, a chance because I know it's one that has constantly popped up uh, in discussions. So, and people are really looking forward to this this follow up. Um, I always assumed like Hollow Knight was uh, sort of similar to in the sense of um, Shovel Knight. Like it just it would it it was there was more and more expansions promised. I th I thought Silk Song was like just an expansion, but I guess it is a, it's like a full on sequel. So I think it might have started as a, like an expansion or a DLC, but they've kind of like spun it out into a sequel. But yeah, my understanding is that now it's, it's a full on sequel. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's good. I'm glad we got a trailer for it. Cause I know people were every time there's a direct or, People assume to see it uh, in a Nintendo Direct because, or an indie partner thing. I think it's shown up once in one of their indie partner directs. So uh, it's cool to see Xbox uh, pick this up and and uh, day one Game Pass as well. So yeah, there was there was a lot of like you know console exclusive, world exclusive, premiere stuff at the start of their trailers, and then at the end of the trailers, it always said on Game Pass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay, we get it. Why didn't you just say? everything's on game pass <laughs> okay thanks bye <laughs> yeah i think everything they showed uh was i can't remember one thing that didn't have that because it became almost like a joke like a meme between matt and i as we're watching you're like mm, i wonder if this is gonna be <laughs> exclusive on game pass <laughs> uh, console launch exclusive on game pass yeah. <laughs> Here. Yeah, so I think almost everything, if not everything, was uh, was either day one Game Pass or available on Game Pass or whatever. So, yeah, and which is good because there's a lot of this stuff that I'm kind of like not necessarily on the fence about, but they're the kind of games and I feel really bad because I feel like I watch these showcases and I'm like, oh, that looks really cool. Oh, that looks really cool. And then they totally fall off my radar and I forget about them because there was actually an article this week um that i read about just the the vast number of games that are coming out and like how you kind of like grab people's attention apparently there's been 5000 games released on steam since the start of 2022 wow 5000 new games 
like obviously varying in quantity, but or, or sorry, quality, but just that that number of games, like how how do you go about like getting people to remember your games? And honestly, a partnership with something like Epic Game Store or Xbox Game Pass, like I'm going to remember and play these games because I'm checking my game pass and I'm like, oh, this is new. It's here. I'm going to try it. And honestly, like Redfall, which is the next one we're going to talk about from Arcane, the guys um, who are under Bethesda who made Dishonored and Prey. Uh, Redfall is coming and it's like an open world vampire shooter horror game. Uh, and, and like, it's the kind of thing where I'm like, oh, that looks kind of cool. I'd probably check it out if it's going to have a triple A, you know, price tag on it. I might not, but it's coming to Game Pass. So I'm absolutely going to try it and it's not going to fall off my radar because of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I uh, we last saw it. It was a sort of cinematic um, trailer. And that was something that you, you might have saw in the news. It was basically Phil Spencer and the Xbox team for this E3 uh, Ghost of E3. They wanted to have a showcase that was more gameplay oriented. And and I think with that sort of drive, it led to the, oh, well, everything can come out in the next 12 mm -hmm. months. Let's do that. Yeah. Things that we actually have gameplay to show. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's why we didn't see Banjo uh, if it exists. Mm -hmm. That's why we didn't see Fable because, again, like those were CG trailers, uh, Fable at least. And, and Redfall, I didn't realize it was sort of like basically Left 4 Dead-esque with vampires. Uh you know, combined with a lot of the um, cool powers and, and tech abilities that you get from a Dishonored or Prey. And I think that's mm -hmm. always that's always fun to see, because, again, like we had Back for Blood, which did launch on Game Pass, which um, I think really helped that game in, in, in allowing it to have like a very healthy uh, player base. So because it's multiplayer, you're queuing with folks and, and you want to be able to to pull a full party when you when you go in and. I think that's where Redfall will will really benefit from Game Pass as well because you'll have that player base built in, mm. and you know Game Pass allows them to say. I mean, you saw the numbers like ten million people playing Grounded from Obsidian, which is which is on yeah. Game Pass. That's crazy. I, I did not realize that many people played that game. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a like, lot of people that can tolerate giant spiders and ants, right? So yeah, <laughs> like I mean, th that game looks so freaky in terms of you know. I still I, I still try not to think about honey I, I shrunk the kids or whatever when they're like running away from those giant ants. I yeah. mean they befriend them in the end, spoiler alert, but there's some <laughs> bugs in there that are gross. Yes, 100%. And I mean, yeah, giant spiders is something you come across like right away in grounded because I remember playing grounded like the day 1 the the alpha or the beta or whatever it was because it feels like it's been in alpha beta early access for years and years and years. Um, I know it hasn't been that long, but, you know, there was a pandemic in the middle, so feels longer than it probably was. Um, but I feel like I heard a lot about it in the first maybe week and then nothing. I just assumed everybody stopped playing. But I think, you know, it's probably just again, like I mentioned, all the games that have come out on Steam this year, like there's a bit of an oversaturation of the market right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've we've talked about it a lot with um, with doing the difference between episode one or even episode 200 of gamers in and, and 500 520 where it's just a different ball game now whereas mm -hmm. like what are we going to play this week oh well in a month we're gonna have this now it's like well geez when are we going to get to that thing that came out in march like that's yeah th that's kind of how the industry works these days like you can't you you can't possibly cover everything 
Um, but you know, even, even with like covering some stuff, there's still things that are going to fall through the cracks. So like Mm -hmm. it's, uh, there, and, and to see this many games announced for the next 12 months and, you know, granted some of these are, they're not exclusive. They're not, some of them are going to come to other platforms. Some of them are coming to PC. So like, but that, I think that's really great and works to the strength of, of what Xbox is trying to do, which is basically like, look, if you want to play this on Xbox, great. If you want to play it on PC, that's awesome. Some of these are also coming to PlayStation and, and Nintendo as well. So mm-hmm. it just felt um, it, like it, it, it felt like a good showcase that was basically like, look, we're talking about Xbox here, but we're not necessarily like locking up. We're not only talking about Xbox. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like we're talking about Xbox, but that doesn't mean this is only Xbox stuff. Um, and yeah, and I think that like one of the things that really attracts me to Xbox and Game Passes is the fact that you can often do stuff on the PC as well. And it, that's kind of seamless, which obviously because Microsoft owns Windows, so makes a lot of sense. But uh, but anyways, um, yeah, Redfall coming in 2023. I think it looks really cool. Uh, I think it's going to be really fun to play with friends. And Ryan, you're right. Having it on Game, game Pass and having that kind of um, player base to pull from in something that does have that multiplayer piece to it, uh, I think is going to be really fun. So I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, really quickly, I just wanted to mention uh, Ar- Ara History Unfold- Untold, which is the, um, the I guess, um, the, the strategy game, the like civilization-esque strategy game looked really cool. Gave me like humankind kind of vibes. Um, they had this whole like humanity's greatest moments and what kind of culture will you build or what what like direction will you take the world and all that kind of stuff and it just really gave me um kind of humankind vibes except for i'm not a hundred percent sure like if you are playing against people (laughs) like i mean i guess you must be right like there has to be a an adversary (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's... uh, Or I guess it could just be like a city builder. If you're doing like a city builder, then you don't really need an adversary other than those damn tornadoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, it it, the it trailer... was a very high level overview, and I was kind of surprised that it was cons- like um, in the 12-month window thing. Mm. I think it was more like a... It, it, to me, it felt like it was like an early access. I think you're going to be able to test it soon. Mm. Um, I know... I know Xbox has kind of been moving more towards being friendly towards early access experiences. And I know that um, something that was announced outside of the showcase, but in their extended showcase was that Valheim is going to be coming to uh, PC game pass and then Xbox uh, early access game pass and, and, and just early access in general um, in the spring of 2023. So like, you know, I know Sony, the PlayStation doesn't, I don't know if PlayStation has like an early access program or like a preview program, but I know Xbox is really pushed into that, um, that realm in the past few years. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, Ara kind of like, to me, it, it, I think it's like previous Civ devs that are working on this. And it felt like, you know, as you said, like a civilization sim, uh, very humankind ask. I thought honestly, it was like an expansion to, to humankind. Hmm. It gave the same sort of vibes, and apparently it is turn-based strategy. It says, from creators that revolutionized the genre. <laughs> Perfect. Well, they're back. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's Oxide Games, so I guess um, they, they're they all people who came from Firaxis and, and EA, so. Yeah, um, another one that kind of, and we, we talk about Game Pass, and one that kind of 
jumped out at me as like, oh, this looks it looks interesting, but I'm glad it's on Game Pass because I'll definitely check it out. It was high on life. I'm not a big <laughs> Rick and Morty. Uh, you know, I, I've I've watched some of it. I I understand the appeal. I think what I've seen of it is funny. Um, but I I haven't really gotten. Into, I guess the creator or co-creator he does a lot of video games as well. I, I've I think there's two or three out. I've not played them. Um, but this one, High on Life, it kind of reminds me of like uh, Stranger Worlds, which was a um, an Odd World shooter spinoff. And uh, the it kind of it looks so funny. It looks so fun and quirky. And it's the perfect Game Pass title because you can check it out, see if you like it. And I mean, it's very specific humor, um, but I'm I'm kind of looking forward to trying it. And it's coming out in October, so it's not a long wait. We'll be able to play it very soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we've watched Rick and Morty. I think I mean it's it's good, stupid, funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I I was kind of surprised. I mean, like, so I don't actually. It's not actually like a the rick and morty game right like it's it's its own thing and it's a it's like a first person shooter biopunk spacey looking thing like it definitely gives rick and morty vibes but it's not a rick and morty game right you just right like um the um justin roiland i guess does the some of the voice acting which is why it sounds like (laughs) yeah it's very alarming yeah but it's not actually technically a rick and morty game right no no it's just it's it's very much got that his uh, the the co-creators i I don't know if it's justin roiland that is the i don't know who the guy is that that does the uh is doing the video games but definitely the voice uh it could it could be him uh but doing the whole thing in terms of directing and stuff but i think uh it's it's definitely got that vibe. It's not a Rick and Morty sort of spinoff. It's it's his own thing, but it's his own thing. It just feels like it should yeah. be Rick and Morty. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it could be like it could be like a sort of a uh, like a adjacent experience. Like it's very close, but it's not like Rick and Morty aren't going to show up. But like you could you right. can totally imagine them accidentally popping into this planet while you're running around like i guess the idea is like you're trying to save these guns these living guns or like a yeah okay so this is what i wanted to talk to you about with high on life because these guns are they have faces and they talk to you and that to me is somehow very disturbing yeah (laughs) like and i didn't know what your thoughts were on this but um there was just something about the guns and my biggest worry with this game has to do with like and obviously the trailer it's all cut together they're like you know putting their best foot forward as movies often do with like putting their funniest lines in the trailer which i think is a big mistake but anyways um i'm like i'm really worried that those like one-liners are like on a loop and i'm like if i have my guns doing one-liners this whole game it's really going to be a giant like put off for me i'm just gonna be like i can't play this because i don't want to hear the same 10 voice lines repeated over and over and over because they're like again they're rick and morty-esque which means they're obnoxious as fuck (laughs) like i don't want to play this game if it's going to be like that Yeah, and and I mean, a lot of the lines boil down to like um, essentially variations of "Oh, that tickles!" every time you like pull the trigger. Every or time reload. you shoot them. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with you. I feel like I hope that's not a scenario where it's like, how do I turn down or how do I turn down the uh, 
Can I turn down my guns without yeah. turning down the dialogue? <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, turn down, you know, the, the frequency at which the gun comments on how you're reloading or or shooting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And I think there's like, you can have some fun with uh, that aspect of it and, and really design some cool ways where the guns react to what you're doing. I mean, they have all that data as they're shooting and stuff, and it could be like, if you miss... It'd be funny if they do react to that. But again, like if they're reacting. But then if they react to every time I miss, because it's a first person shooter, I'm really bad at them. <laughs> I'm going to miss all the time. I don't want my gun laughing at me every no. 30 seconds. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, we don't want flashbacks to duck hunt every time we miss. No. So <laughs> I, I, I freaking dog. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I mean, again, but it, because it's going to be on Game Pass, like we can we can check it out. Oh, yeah. It's definitely something I'm going to try yeah, because for it's sure. on Game Pass. Um, the other thing I'm going to try, I feel like that's kind of a theme through a lot of the titles that they showed is that like, because they're on game pass, I'm going to check them out. But as someone who's now played some of these like co-op narrative games with me, I want to know what you think about as dusk falls, because I thought it looked kind of cool. It had some interesting themes. Like I kind of looked at it and I was like, Hmm, I would watch that TV show, which means I would probably enjoy that narrative experience, except up to eight players really gave me pause with this title. I was like, I know how it felt like Ryan and I playing two sides of the Dark Pictures anthology games. And that felt disconnected enough. And like I was missing a lot of the story because it was things that you were seeing on your end that I wasn't seeing on my end. I can't imagine that like times four. So like having eight different perspectives, playing eight different characters, like it seems ambitious and like it might just be messy. Yeah, um, I, I I honestly don't know how the, the narrative, you know, experience up to eight players. Like, I wonder if that is uh, similar to, I think Telltale did this with some of their games where they had like a share play where you could vote on the choices. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Because I also wondered, I mean, up to eight players. I mean, the stuff we've done in Dark Pictures, obviously it was either a solo experience or, you know, you each played one side, but it was very split. Um, but I mean, like eight players, like trying to split that up and, and, you know, like waiting for other people and all the rest of it, that would, that's where like my messy thoughts come from. But if it's like one driver and seven backseat drivers, co-pilots, like (laughs) voters, like that could be interesting. Um, and again, like it kind of depends how they're, how they're putting it together. Do those seven people or, or eight people actually, you know, democratically decide or is there one person in charge who makes the final decision, but you're allowed to let them know what you think? Like, I don't. Yeah, they didn't really get too far. Well, they didn't get into that at all. It was just kind of at the end. They're like up to eight people. It's like, what? You? <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my under, my understanding, like based on the trailer from what we've seen, it very much looks like, a, you know, a choose your own adventure and. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like the thing that stood out for me is is I'm I'm excited to play it. I'm excited to check it out when it launches in July on on Game Pass. Um, the thing for me is, that, and I don't know if you got this vibe as well. I find the mixture of full motion and sort of motion graphic combination of the characters it, it is a little unsettling. Um, yeah, no, I had the same feeling. Okay, so it's not just me because I'm watching this. No, and like, it's it's definitely a stylistic choice. And not the choice I would have made. However, I will say I understand why they went with that sort of a style 
when like you have a budget and it seems like narratively because they also showed um the kind of different paths available through the story and the map was big it reminded me of um oh my god that robot game we played detroit oh, become human yeah. Yeah. yeah that where they had so many different branching paths so it seems like it's a very big undertaking narratively and especially if they're trying to figure out like whatever tech they have in order to make it playable by up to eight people um and again like up to eight so i assume that also means like any combination they're in you know like three people seven people you know whatever i feel like that's going to get very complicated and probably where a lot of the budget went because it's also not a big studio right so i think that they are maybe uh not necessarily not cutting corners but they made a stylistic choice which probably cost them less money than doing a fully animated video game yeah i mean i i but yeah it's i i didn't it, it bothered my eyes <laughs> <laughs> it just it was a little it's different and i'm yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how it feels you know as as we play through it um it just kind of jumped out at me as like oh this is uh this is different from what i'm used to i mean i've Definitely experienced like the motion graphic feel of like, you know, slowly moving through a scene and, and having like, you know, jump basically like a bunch of jump cuts as, as characters fade in and out of animations. But to combine that with full motion of like objects like cars and dust and mm-hmm. there, it was just there's some chase scenes that was like, oh, that's that's interesting. Like you have the cars moving, but then as you transition into the cars, everything's moving around, uh, you know, normally except for these characters as they're emoting, they're kind of like fading in and out. And um, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. I, I look forward to playing it. Cause again, I like those narrative experiences. Well, and it seemed like a very interesting idea too, from what I gathered from, you know, the, what was shown is it kind of seems like one of those situations where, you know, like wrong place, wrong time and your whole life changes. And then it seems to follow all the characters that were there for that life changing event, like into the future and stuff. And that's where all the branching paths come from and everything else. And it's so it seemed like an interesting concept and and story wise, I I do want to play it and I, and I want to give it a try too with the up to eight players. Like I'd like to I'd like to play with you if you'll have me, Ryan. I'd like to play with you. Oh yeah, because <laughs> I think it would be fun uh, to experience with more than just one person. But you can play it solo. It is like one to eight players. It's it's up to you. But I think it would be fun to play co op. Yeah, I'll definitely play this co op again. Like I think uh, being on Game Pass and uh, just allows you to have so many more players exposed to the game and and um yeah there was a lot of like smaller titles that popped up as well uh similar to as dust falls like another one that kind of stood out to me was uh the last case of benedict fox which was Mm. uh i think it was this was a a a premiere one um and it just it was like a side-scrolling sort of storytelling game um which had more similar like combat and abilities to like in the blind forest but more of like a detective spiritual type yeah thing. the fact that they mix detectives and demons in this i'm like uh, i'm pretty sure you read my diary <laughs> <laughs> like this it looked like it has everything i would want in a video game except for maybe potentially the like you mentioned the ori like platformy kind of style <laughs> yeah it, it but looks like cool 
a, a detective solving supernatural cases yes please <laughs> yeah yeah it looks really neat um again like another great sort of addition to like oh, i can check this out uh on game pass like another one uh, the, a, a follow-up to a game that it's, we, it's been announced for a while but a, a plague tale requiem mm. uh which is a follow-up to another narrative game we both played and enjoyed I couldn't remember if I liked it or not. I was trying to think back and I'm like, I remember being really frustrated by the ending of Plague Tale. Um, but yeah. yeah, I couldn't I couldn't remember where in the end I fell on my, you know, review feelings on Plague Tale. But uh, the rats are back. <laughs> That's still a thing. <laughs> yeah. Back in style. Um, it, it felt like uh, I, I think like some of the criticisms we had of the first one that it was it was rough around the edges. Um, and, but it, but it told an interesting story and yeah, I, I don't know if it stuck the landing. I think the ending was basically like, oh, you control the rats now. Uh, basically like you figured it out and now you can, right, right. Like they weren't a, like, I think up until that point you were just, you were using light to kind of avoid them, but it turns out maybe your brother could always communicate with the rats. But I think by the end it was like, you're, 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 you brother. are rats now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the rats we're all rats now or something like that um they turn to the camera wink and and uh credits roll but um i think in this it, i think the sequel at least what was presented in the showcase it feels like they really have um touched up you know those rough edges at least in terms of like the way the gameplay was portrayed I, it felt very a lot smoother um it looks like there's more sort of abilities there as you're traversing through the landscape and you have more um more options. I think in the first one, you basically had a sling and you could throw, you could like, you could really throw rocks at people. I mean, they, right. I think you yeah. Were basically you murdered killing them. People. Yeah. Yeah. You murdered them real hard with your slingshot and rocks. <laughs> yeah. So now they have a, I think a bow and a knife and stuff. So there's more options. Oh there. yeah. They're all grown up now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, once you finish your first game, it's like, all right, now you get a bow. So yeah, you're a super murderer now. Congratulations. You've leveled up. Yeah. That can control rats. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that one uh, again launching in the next. I don't think it got a date. I think it's. I think it's twenty. I can't even remember if they if they gave us like a specific timeline. But um, I'm excited to check that one out. Uh, I I did. I do remember enjoying the first one, whether we had our problems with it uh, or not. I I know we did. It wasn't like a perfect game, but it was like it was different enough and and had an interesting story to it. I was going to say, yeah, in the end, I, I feel like it was it was unique and, and kind of interesting. So, yeah, I'm I'm sure that we'll both again, because it's on Game Pass, we'll definitely give it a shot. I'm just kind of very quickly scrolling through to see if I can find uh, it's expected out this year. So uh, a 2022, which cool. is exciting. Oh, that's good. I'm I'm excited that it's coming out this year. Um. I mean, like, there's obviously, like, the big ones that we have to discuss, and and I think, like, it, you know, the Riot Games stuff being added to Game Pass, that's interesting. Um, I think I expected, like, at least one sort of large service addition to Game Pass being announced, and I, I honestly thought it was going to be Ubisoft, because um, Ubisoft Plus is going to be coming to consoles this summer. Uh, but it was Riot, which was a, a bit out of, of left field, but it's... I thought it was too, but I also don't play any Riot games, so I thought maybe I was just out of the Riot loop. But um, it did seem kind of crazy to to just, you know, by the way, Riot is now on Game Pass. That was crazy. Um, it was kind of interesting to see because uh, Riot does have quite a lot of different... Like, they have an auto battler, they have a card game, they have a MOBA, obviously... 
Um, and so how they kind of translated those games into giving Game Pass people value, I thought was really interesting because that's been kind of one question around the Blizzard acquisition is, you know, how might some of these, you know, games as a service like Hearthstone and and Warcraft and, you know, everything else that Blizzard has to offer, how is that going to translate potentially into the Microsoft Xbox Game Pass ecosystem? And I think, you know, Riot has now almost given us the templates. So it was a, an interesting announcement for sure. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing to come out of it, like in terms of Riot Games, like when Arcane launched on Netflix, it, it did send me to their other games outside of League of Legends. I, I did not play League of Legends on PC. Well, yeah, because they have League of Legends on mobile too, right? I can't remember what it's called, but Wild, Wild something maybe? Yeah, so Wild Rift, like... Rift, uh, that's it. I was thinking Hunt, and then I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that's a Witcher thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Wild Rift is a very good mobile MOBA, and it was, I guess it was always um, planned to come to consoles as well. So with this sort of Riot Games on Game Pass, it will basically unlock all the heroes for you um, because you do have to either buy them or earn them through uh, in-game progression slash currency. Uh, so the fact that you'll have access to all those and while Rift will be coming to consoles at some point in the next uh, year, uh, like it's a very, you know, good... So It's a very good mobile League of Legends, but it's also like a nice, you know pared down version of league because league of legends is like is like those it's not like heroes of the storm it's like a more it's a more complex uh moba and i'm and that means like i'm already terrible at it by uh, default <laughs> because i was never good at heroes Obviously. and when you, you start adding like jungling and then oh i gotta go do this lane thing and then go do another lane thing like already you can tell i'm not gonna be playing this with ryan because he's he's you know there's recorded proof that he's terrible is he's just saying things that don't make any sense. He's just saying words that he's heard before on other podcasts. Around like, MOBAs. Yeah. yeah, maybe not even League. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, but having played Wild Rift, I feel like, oh, this is set up in a way where um, they've kind of like streamlined it because it's for mobile and uh, I will happily check it out. And people don't sit and play a 30 minute game on mobile. <laughs> no. And I mean, they, they are still quite long. I mean, we talked about Marvel Snap. Uh, last week in terms of a three minute game, like Wild Rift games are shorter, but they're still like, I mean, uh, uh, just above 10 minutes, I think it's not too bad, though. It's not too bad, but I, I'm excited to check it out on console when it launches, because I feel like it would it would translate really well to a controller as well. Um, hmm, interesting. So, yeah. Uh, so I guess uh, we should get into kind of like the meat of the Bethesda part, right? Because they teased this game all the way through and i was like are they ever actually going to show us like what is happening but then we did get a very extended look at starfield at the end of the showcase and uh, before we kind of dive into our thoughts on starfield there was an interview with ign that came out um, i believe it was today um, and basically it said uh, it was talking to Bethesda about Starfield and their kind of development plans going forward. Uh, they confirmed that Elder Scrolls 6 is in pre-production and the Internet lost its collective mind. In like <laughs> a good were... way? No, in a oh. bad way. I don't in know a... why I led with good. I, I should have yeah, assumed. Like, <laughs> when does the Internet ever lose its mind and it's a good thing? Right? I... <laughs> like... There's got to be something. And I mean, I, mean you... I guess every once in a while, every once in a while, they they lose it in a good way. But no, this is definitely lose it in a bad way because mm. Bethesda, like one thing that they have done 
is they have been quite open about their, you know, development, I guess, um, roadmap, maybe you want to call it like their development plans, their pipeline. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so I think a lot of people assumed, I don't know why, but they assumed that when Elder Scrolls 6 was announced with a splash screen, like uh, in, I believe, 2018, they assumed that that meant development on the game was starting. And I thought that Bethesda had been very clear that Starfield comes first, then we're working on Elder Scrolls, and now they've also told us that after Elder Scrolls is done, that's when they're going to work on Fallout 5. So, like, they're they're telling us what their studios are doing. It doesn't mean that Fallout 5 is starting today, guys. <laughs> it means that when Elder Scrolls 6 <laughs> is done, which is probably a long time from now, Fallout 5 is coming. Um, but like I said, I thought that Bethesda had been very clear that they needed to get Starfield out the door first before they would begin active development on Elder Scrolls 6. So, I mean, like, I assumed we were still years out. And that's why I was so excited to hear, you know, release date and, you know, how close they were on Starfield, because the faster they get Starfield out, the faster they can start on Elder Scrolls and I can get like Elder Scrolls 6, which I'm very excited about. Um, But yeah, the Internet did not like that. The Internet assumed that uh, Bethesda had used the past four years to to build Elder Scrolls 6 and was expecting it. I don't know, soon in the next year or two. And I'm like, oh, internet, why? <laughs> why are huh. you the way that you are? <laughs> I I mean, I've always gotten the sense from, you know, the main Bethesda studio that they're kind of like a a 1.25 game like studio. They're they're we, they're making this huge, ambitious open world game that is Starfield, or or I guess before that it was uh Gosh, would it would it have been no, it would have been Fallout 4. I almost went back to Skyrim, mm-hmm. but but no, it would have not been that far 4. back. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but they're always they're you know, their their main focus is that next big game, but they're they have pre-production started in the background on the next project. So they have a smaller team doing pre-production for, in this case, Elder Scrolls 6. And you're right, like they've always um they've usually been pretty open about their pipeline, and I think mm-hmm. um one exception being Fallout 4, where they they did their darndest to keep it a secret. And I think that really um, not hurt them in, in terms of release, but it, it hurt them in terms of like just the way their studio functions. Like, I feel like they really do thrive on being like, no, this is what we're doing. I think they learned a lesson with Fallout 4. It was like it was more mm-hmm. effort to keep it a secret when we should have just said we're working on Fallout 4 and it it, you know, Movies do this a lot. We've talked about it before where movies basically plan out the franchise or or the next five years of of the of their universe or their plans. Basically, like it it removes that element of like of secrecy. <laughs> yeah, it leaks yeah. and secrecy and that pressure to keep everything a secret. And I think with Bethesda saying, you know, like Elder Scrolls Six is still in pre-production, um, someone who might not understand what that means is like, oh my gosh, you haven't started. It's like, well, no. This is such a huge game. Pre-production is a large portion of building out the Elder Scrolls Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pre-production doesn't mean before or like it doesn't mean not started. It means yeah. like they haven't started coding yet. They haven't started producing the product. <laughs> exactly. They haven't started like putting. You know, they're still scripting. They're still, you know, I'm sure they have World a story. Building, like, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're building the story. So, like, a story writing, probably doing some quest writing, like, that kind of stuff. 
Um, all of that falls under that pre-production umbrella. But I think people were expecting like, I don't know, a demo or something. Cause you know, we get so many Bethesda demos. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, you know, I, like people were, people were mad, right? <laughs> really? I missed this yeah. whole discourse. I just saw the article before we started recording because to me, the big news was confirming fall of five, which I mean, um, it's interesting to see them. Like, I, I think it's really interesting to see them say like, no, like, you know, we're going to have Starfield out will sort of move some teams around to have some focus on, you know, uh, post-release content, DLC, and then, you know, spin up the main team for Elder Scrolls Six to get it, to get it um, started uh, on. But the fact that they're already saying like Fallout 5 comes after that, it, it really feels like they've got like a good pre-production handle on how they're going to build these games out. So while they are busy building up you know, and finishing Starfield, they are then going to move in and build up Elder Scrolls Six. Because mm-hmm. again, like I, I can only assume that the the bulk of the work that goes into these huge open world games is the pre production of figuring out, you know, what story content am, am I going to run into in Planet One of One Thousand? You know, mm-hmm. and that all has to be sort of figured out before you even build that planet. before you start coding yeah no 100%. yeah you don't build the planet and then like okay what story like in a linear experience why sure we build this <laughs> yeah like exactly so i think if i think if more folks sort of understand how games are made and and how games are sort of planned like um it can help in understanding like why this is still good news and the fact that they're confirming fallout 5 as their next project is like well that to me says that they've got layers of pre-production across their products right Mm -hmm. well they have big microsoft money now (laughs) yeah i mean fallout 5 could literally be like you know a third whiteboard in the office that just has fallout 5 and it's circled (laughs) right (laughs) and and he could he can just say like no like if you know this way if you come into the office and you see that whiteboard it's not like it's not a scoop it's just like no i already already announced it it's just fallout 5 with a circle around it maybe we'll add some lines next week but uh, right now it's just circled. So it's just a circle. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. Uh, and yeah, before we talk too much about Starfield and I know this is kind of an aside, but it's, it's related because this is something else. The internet was super mad about um, <laughs> the Kojima announcement. That was not even an announcement really. It was right before the Starfield announcement talking about how uh, basically he was going to make a game with Xbox and the internet was so mad. There's a petition, Ryan. I know. And here's the thing. <laughs> I I'm I am I know that change.org has has done has has seen good Great come things. from it. You know, and I just feel like um it's petitions like those that kind of bring that site down of like we need we need to make sure Kojima cancels this game because I'm going to I'm going to give my email to whoever runs this the this this petition. I mean, like that's just a great way to get spammed, is it not? Um I don't know. It's, I I uh, I think Kojima working on an Xbox game like um, people want to see specifically they want to see Kojima's studio bought out um, for some reason by Sony and and I think you know Sony helping Kojima make Death Stranding it's the exact same scenario here where Kojima has a very specific idea and the way to get that idea into reality is is in in their mind through cloud gaming. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, is that if, if the fans are there saying, well, no, he needs to cancel the Xbox game and, and make it with, with Sony for some reason. 
Um, you might remember a news story we had last year where Sony is using Microsoft servers to build out cloud experiences. So yeah. I, I saw this and I was kind of thinking to myself, well, that's silly because if he cancels the Xbox game, he's still going to be using Microsoft tech. So... <laughs> Yeah, I think I don't know. I, I guess people are maybe like only want like, like you said, only want him working with Sony for whatever reason or are worried that this means that whatever the new Kojima title is, although I thought and maybe this was just like my Internet sphere, but I kind of thought Death Stranding ended up with mixed reviews once people actually got their hands on it. Like there were a lot of like weird clips going around about like <laughs> peeing on stuff and yes. but you were just a mailman like I it was a weird freaking game and it didn't resonate with a lot of people from what I remember um, on the launch and you didn't really hear too much about it outside of a lot of these showcases like I'm talking about like from my gamer friends from the people I follow like in my internet sphere um, I feel like Death Stranding didn't I don't know. I was surprised by this reaction. I'll put it this way. I was surprised by this reaction that people were super angry about him partnering with Xbox and like that was the end of the world and it was going to be, you know, Microsoft exclusive and oh, that's so wrong. And no, he needs to be with Sony. I was like, well, why? <laughs> like, isn't it better that he's his own entity and he can go where he finds the best offer slash tech to build what he wants to build? Like, if you really believe in his creative vision, shouldn't you want him to do whatever's best for him instead of tying himself to one major company? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I think the last time Kojima was tied to a major company, the last game he made with Konami was, was very different from his original vision. And I, and I think like when you see Kojima and Death Stranding, like that is, that is all, you know, um, I don't want to say it's all Kojima, like, cause again, he's one person on a, on a whole dev team, but like a lot of, uh, like that game really feels like a Kojima experience and, you know, an unfiltered Kojima experience. And again, him being, as you said, like independent and being able to choose partners uh, uh, as needed. Yeah. According know. to whatever his project is. Yeah. Like I honestly, him showing up, I thought was a, was a huge, uh, was a huge get for Xbox for sure. Like I understand that aspect of, of this conversation as well but it but you know like the way he was introduced like it sounds like phil spencer and the xbox team are just delighted to be working with him and i think that mm -hmm. to me is like so refreshing to see folks just excited to be working together on a project and i think it was so positive it was just an announcement of a game that he's going to be working on in partnership with microsoft and xbox yeah we don't, don't even know anything about the game like yeah. But I'm excited that they're excited. So, like, yeah. I, I don't know why the Internet has to try to come in here and and ruin it with a change.org petition. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I just I saw the petition. And I'm like, I can't let this go without talking about this. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> we should actually talk about the really big announcement, which was Starfield. I apologize yes. for the aside. Um, but, yeah, so Starfield, we saw a lot more. We saw some gameplay. We saw a lot of the cool stuff that you're going to be able to get to do. Uh, my, like I mentioned earlier, my biggest excitement is that it's actually coming out. Now they get to work on Elder Scrolls 6. I'm super stoked for people who like space stuff. It looks really cool. Um, the thing that gave me a little bit of pause, which I think they were trying to make it a selling point, but to me, it was almost like, oh, I really don't want to touch this game then, is when they talked about how there's over a thousand planets to explore. I was like, that is too many. That is just too many. It's a lot. 
it is so 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 many planets like if they had said there's more than a hundred planets to explore i would have been like whoa that's amazing <laughs> so yeah there's just one too many zeros yeah i mean um my my original reaction was same as yours like that is a lot and then uh there was some discourse going around today about um how you know a lot of like a lot of these open world experiences they do lean in on like oh there's so much to do and i think that there can be a game like Starfield maybe that has so much to do as long as the main storyline is tailored in a way that, uh, that doesn't really put focus on like visiting every, like you can visit those thousand planets, but if you're just doing the main line and some side quests on your journey to completing the main storyline, um, you don't have to visit all those planets. Yeah, and this is where I kind of, uh, like, I agree with you as, as long as the main story is the main story and it doesn't force you to go to a thousand different places, literally, um, then that's good. But at the same time, it feels like they di- they just didn't need that many. Uh, they did say there's more handcrafted content in Starfield than any other Bethesda game in the past which is fine, but I think a lot of people are like, well, yeah, but I mean, if you have that many planets that you've made in four years, that's, you know, 250 planets a year, you probably procedurally generated that stuff um, or it's very empty and kind of pointless. Um, So I think there's still, there's a lot of questions around the size of Starfield and it almost has like built-in FOMO, right? Like, If Mm. I play the main story and I visit even 50 planets, like in my mind, I'm going to be thinking, okay, I'm pretty much done. This has been a full experience, but also there's 950 I haven't seen yet. Like, I don't know. It just, it feels like, okay, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to compare it to ESO because I think that, you know, it was the same company. Right. And uh, I think that like the feeling I get in ESO when I log in is that there are, I, like, I'm almost max level now, or, like, before you start the, all the Paragon levels, whatever they're called um, in ESO. But anyways, like, I, my character's almost maxed out. I've been playing through the stories. I kind of, like, when a new expansion comes out, I play through that zone story. And then I look at the rest of the map, and I go, oh, my freaking God, there are still 30 zones that I haven't played through yet. And there's so much quests, and there's so much voice acting, there's so much to see in this game, it's almost overwhelming and I feel like I've missed out by not playing all these other zones and I do the best that I can to work my way through that content. But, you know, it's a lot. And then I look at Starfield and it gives me those same sort of feelings times like a hundred because I'm like, I'm never going to see all those planets. And if they are actually like nicely fleshed out, if they do have a lot of good content, then I'm going to feel like I'm missing out on all that good content. But I am never in like ever going to have the time to explore a thousand different planets, especially when there seems to be so much more like they have a story. This isn't No Man's Sky. They have like ship customization out the wazoo. Like they basically it's like Lego. Like they give you all the pieces and say, here, build your spaceship and then we'll show it to you. You get to fly it and we'll show it to you in space. Like that's the other thing. You can fly your spaceship around like you can't fly from the planet to space. You fly either around the planet or in space. And there's a there's a load screen between them. And that was another thing the Internet got mad about today. But, you know, like, I think that's fine, (laughs) you know, to have this space be one be one thing. And then the planet's another thing. That's fine. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I just 
I feel like either most of those planets are going to be very empty or they're going to have a lot of rich story, which is very overwhelming to me in an ESO way, but right. more. <laughs> I th So, um, uh, on the topic of the, the, <laughs> uh, the, the loading screen between planets, I, I, I saw that outrage and I thought it was funny. Basically, um, the quote from Todd Howard was like, we didn't think that space was very interesting. You know, the, the landing and, and um, the landing and taking off and, and taking I, off. Yeah, I agree with them. I mean, honestly, like it's cool that you can do that in no man's sky. But again, um, is it is it is it part of the game they want to focus on, like the landing and, and taking off? If really I have a thousand planets to go see, I don't want to have to land a thousand times and take <laughs> off a thousand times like yeah. <laughs> that's too many times. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, your example of ESO is a good one. I think I always felt that with MMOs that like there's there's no way I can experience all of this um, in a month, in even 12 months as as subbed uh, to, to an MMO. And I've always had that reaction, even when I've had more time to play games, like back when I was in school. Um, but, you know, I look at, you know, Bethesda games that have come out since, like Skyrim and um, Fallout 4, I was able to, like, the pacing was set up in a way where I was able to enjoy the main story and not worry about missing out on, like, base building was a great example. It was in Fallout 4. I did the quest that I had to do to progress, but I was fine to leave that. Um, same with Skyrim. Like, they, there was stuff in those games that I know I wasn't going to see, and I was... I was fine with that, but there's something about MMOs that like, it feels like they build it out in a way where they're like, we need to build this out. We need to build everything out just in case you come here so that you're having the same experience here that you might have in the other corner of the world. And I, I hope because this is a mainline Bethesda game, they'll design it more in a way um, like Skyrim and, and Fallout 4 where yes, it's a populated area, but like you're not missing a great deal of, of content. I mean, Skyrim started to experiment with the, the sort of like infinite quest system. Uh, Fallout four did a little bit more with that, but really it was, it was procedurally generated content. Um, I mean, you don't put a thousand planets in your game and, and, and populate them by hand. Like they, it, it will be procedurally generated and, and there will be like planets that have, um, more to them because they're a storyline or a side quest. Um, I, I think like the thousand plus planets, like I always find it weird that it's like a marketing thing of like, Oh, we have a thousand plus planets. My reaction was the same. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I kind of need to step back here. But then you think of folks that maybe buy one game and play it for their whole year. And um, like this, this game will be perfect for them. But I, I'm not. I feel like 500 would have been enough, though. Yes, 500 <laughs> like, definitely would have been enough. Gamers like you and I, and gamers who's just gonna play for the next 12 months, like half as many. Yeah, like save 500 of them for the DLC, maybe. I don't know. Like, uh, who knows? <laughs> like, yeah, make it a whole new galaxy to explore. I didn't it just. Yeah, ambitious. It's definitely ambitious, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, to a certain gaming crowd who might have been excited, this is potentially off-putting. And yeah, like I know they probably wanted a nice round number. I think a hundred's nice and round. 250, 500. There's many options before you hit a thousand for a nice round number of planets. 
That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that the more I think about it, the more it's like, how do you how do you pace a thousand plus planets? Like how much of how how much how of much that... time do you expect do you expect people to spend on each planet? Is yeah. I think a really good question. Yeah, and I and and I mean, how much content in those a thousand plus planets is the main storyline? Like, I can't even fathom visiting a a hundred planets as part mm-hmm. of the main quest. Twelve, maybe twenty, fifty, maybe. Like that's that's a big game. But I, I feel like the thousand plus is very similar to the way No Man's Sky um, has done theirs, where it's like there are just a thousand different biomes to land on and it's all procedurally generated. And, and, that, and that's fine. And, you know, you might be like, oh, great. I was and they even showed it like this is the other thing about the gameplay of Starfield. Um, there's some very strong No Man's Sky vibes, like even to the point where you're using a laser to mine stuff. Mm. So there's going to be a lot of that. Too. I think there's going to be a lot of comparisons between Starfield and No Man's Sky that they're not going to be able to get away from, uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing, uh, because I think No Man's Sky, again, I haven't played it, but uh, I think it's very similar to Sea of Thieves. So I assume it's a really good game now because Sea of Thieves has really come into its own in terms of, of content to the point that it feels like it's got so much to do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think... Um, whether earned or not, it's going to be compared a lot to No Man's Sky. And um, they look to me like just the same, only different. <laughs> like lots of planets to explore. You're out in space. You get to fly your spaceship. You get to build your spaceship and customize it. You know, like it's all really going to come down to what that main storyline looks like. Because I think that direction and that story is what's going to set Starfield apart right it's still a bethesda title it's it's an open world it's just that that world is space right so we're just gonna have to see how the bethesda team decides to help us navigate through space and uh, and that's gonna really set the game apart and obviously they're not gonna show us that you know a year before the game releases (laughs) i was just gonna say did you get a sense of what the story is no okay because i didn't either (laughs) and i thought maybe that was just me um, it feels very much like a, you know, um, you know, space, the final frontier. Yeah. They kind of just showed us the main city, which, um, I can't remember. I'm going to see if like I can New find Atlantis, it really quick. I think it is. Or I something. think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. New Atlantis. You're right. Is what it's called. Um, so I mean, they, they seem to, it seems to center around that. And I assume that that's going to be your, like load in starting spot to kind of explore from there. They talked about um, there were kind of like different factions, right? There was like the space that they, they wanted to, I think you have to like go around and find pieces of an artifact in space. And there's like space pirates that are the bad guys. And then you're the good guys. Cause you're like the archeologists or whatever. It kind of had almost like an Indiana Jones vibe, <laughs> but yeah. then I don't know what happens once you find all the pieces. There was a big glowy circle thing. Yeah. Uh, Maybe this is the precursor to Halo. <laughs> I mean, they're all owned by Microsoft now. Maybe Starfield is what comes Whoa. before. Maybe this is the forerunners. Maybe, Maybe we are the forerunners in Starfield. Oh, I did it. <laughs> Maybe this is the Mass Effect sequel that. Andromeda was because Andromeda was supposed to be like the same thing. A thousand plus procedural planets. You could visit them all. There was content out the wazoo. And I mean, I 
I'm excited for a new Bethesda game. I think like the gameplay, I don't know why I was surprised by this, but like, um, I was surprised to see like such a, like a call of duty approach to the gunplay. I mm. felt very much like a first person shooter. And I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I should have expected. It definitely wasn't going to be like swords and shields cause it's in space, but I guess it had to be like machine guns. But I mean, I'm not as, I'm not, I'm more interested in the story. I'm not as interested in, in the, uh, in, in the, in the combat. The combat didn't really, you know, speak to me. Um, I, I need to see more, uh, of the game mm-hmm. before it launches, which I'm sure that we will. And, uh, and we will definitely keep you guys up to date as soon as we hear anything else on the Starfield front, especially cause it means Elder Scrolls six is coming. Yay. <laughs> uh, Ryan, very quickly, was there yes. anything you wanted to talk about from Capcom? Cause I had a look and I mean, Capcom just basically was resident evil. So I figured you would, <laughs> you would be the one to kind of steer us through their showcase. Sure. Well, I mean, I'll say this, like uh, Lou and I will will probably be going through this this week on uh, Zombies Ate My Podcast. So if you're looking for more details, you can you can check out uh, Zamp. But like the biggest thing that stood out to me that hadn't been previously announced um, in terms of with details and trailers was the DLC for Resident Evil Village, uh, which was promised last summer. They sort of said, hey, we're working on it. And that DLC is going to include a sort of epilogue story to the main game of village which will take place 16 years later uh i think this has got to be the biggest time jump we've seen with resident evil uh which will focus on um ethan's daughter rose and her powers as she explores a jar of goop um that's literally what's what what i gathered was she like goes into the mind of of i can't even remember what they called it but it, it, it was a jar of goop you're going to go into the mind of this jar of goop and explore the consciousness there. And, uh, it appears to be reusing a lot of assets from village. I think you're exploring, um, well, it is DLC, right? So yeah, yeah, you're right. It makes sense. And, and it's just, it's interesting to see them, um, jump the story forward, uh, to, to have the daughter be the main character in this DLC. There's, yeah, well, I mean, so um, I guess we should say potential Resident Evil Village spoilers here. So if you don't want to hear them, uh, we will see you next week. Uh, but uh, that's where that's where Resident Evil Village ended was with, you know, uh, uh, kind of late teens, early 20s looking Rose being, that's you true. know, like um, whatchamacallit, like kind of handled by <laughs> men she could kill with a blink <laughs> yeah yeah like whether they were cia or, or whatever the hell whoever they were but oh gosh if i could remember the, the the different agencies that pop up over the course of every resident evil game i think i'd right i mean they were like <laughs> dudes in suits with sunglasses driving black cars yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. oh, they, insert yeah. government agency here <laughs> yeah like the bureau of scientific associations or something i don't know it's like bsa was one of them but i don't think that was that was one of them but yeah like that that was the big news i think like uh so resident evil village will be getting um a gold edition which is essentially like a a a packaging of the dlc um the dlc is going to include also additions to the mercenaries mode as well as a third person um mode for the main story so it's kind of interesting that village is getting a third person mode, a VR mode, and obviously launched with, with first person. Um, and then this DLC that's going to be launching with Rose being the main character, uh, that is primarily a third person perspective. So, um, it's, 
it's interesting because I know Village with or the Resident Evil Seven and Eight games were were very focused on a first person view, and that mm-hmm. obviously made the games more scary. Uh, while their remakes were more focused on the classic third person perspective, and now they're kind of applying it to uh, to Village. So it, it'll be interesting to see how that's received, and it's kind of cool that they're sort of releasing it not as a free update. It's going to be part of the DLC, um, right? Yeah. So you will have to buy it to access uh that new perspective but they're adding new animations and stuff like that so um but yeah everything else announced from capcom was sort of previously already seen street fighter 6 uh some monster hunter rise uh, as well as some other resident evil projects like up um not up but uh current generation patches for their past three games as well as uh a new look of resident evil 4 remake which i'm really excited about so but yeah um it, I mean, it's a it's a good time to be a Resident Evil fan because there's a mm-hmm. lot of Resident Evil content coming. Yeah, and uh, I think there's more coming to uh, to Dead by Daylight too that we've talked about in the past too. I don't think they covered it in the showcase at all, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff going on with the Resident Evil IP. So if you want all of the details and the deep dive, again, go check out uh, Ryan's other show, Zombies Ate My Podcast. That's going to do it for us this week. We hope you enjoyed. Our look at the Xbox and Capcom showcases. You can join the conversation and let us know what you think over at bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn and Joss Plays. Ryan is at R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Thanks for staying at The Gamers Inn. And remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.